Welcome to the Acts Church Leander podcast. Join us in person or online on Facebook at 9.30 a.m. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Would you all pray with me as we dive into God's word today? Uh, Father, Lord, you are a good, good father. Uh, It is who you are. Uh, Lord, as we dive into this parable today, that really just reflects on your heart uh, for us, for your mission. Uh, Lord, for being a God who moves. Lord, I pray that you speak. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Again, it's good to be with you guys today. We are continuing on in our series of the parables. And they've been great because the parables are just stories. And if you learn anything about me in any amount of time, you'll realize I love me some stories. Right? And I love me stories in every form. I play video games that tell stories. I write stories. I read stories. I watch Netflix purely for the story content form. And so the fact that Jesus used story as often as he did through parable to teach truth, to teach who he was, what his mission was about, what humanity's problem was about, is is something that I draw a lot of comfort from. And we've been talking about how parables are a specific genre of story, and it's really about getting to the punchline. So there isn't a beat by beat, this represents this, this represents this. It's more like a joke. You're, you're trying to get to that punchline of what Jesus is trying to get at. And today, the punchline is all about being lost and found. And all of us mourn when we lose something, right? And it could be small, it could be big. I don't know if you're like me, but there are certain items that I have lost throughout the years that are way more important than sunglasses, and I still to this day carry it with me. I was a senior in high school, and Eddie Bauer was having this sale because they were literally moving one shop over in the mall, right? So they weren't even like leaving the mall, they were just moving, and they had this monster sale where I got this leather jacket that was originally $500, 80% off for 100 bucks. And I loved this jacket, right? I would have been buried in this jacket, right? I took this jacket everywhere. I would get compliments on this jacket. And then I went to Sweden, and I left it on a bus. And I still remember where I was sitting on that bus. I still to this day bemoan that, that I lost this jacket. We, we all probably have items like that. 
But, but more than when we lose an item or a thing, when we lose a person, either through something like death or through actions on our part or another person, a relationship that's broken, that, that's a different level of mourning. Right? That's a different level of hurt. That's a different experience than, than simply losing your sunglasses or, or the leather jacket or, or whatever it is. And that's really what these parables are about. But unlike a lot of the parables that talk about God's mission, the kingdom of God, we've talked a lot about that, or or parables about humanity's problem and, and where we get tripped up, these parables are all about God's heart, where God's head's at, why God is doing what he's doing, and what lengths he will go to have relationships with people. And that, that's what starts off Luke, right? Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes and even sinners and even eats with them. Right, the story starts off and Jesus is hanging out. The crowds are getting bigger. But the Pharisees are upset because the crowd's makeup isn't of the right people. This would essentially be like having a church service and saying, wait a second, that person isn't dressed the right way, which we wouldn't do here at Acts because you see how I dress and it's a low bar, right? Okay, so it's not going to be that one, all right? But, but, but maybe they're living a lifestyle that seems counter to what we say, no, this is what God wants you to do. Certainly sinners and tax collectors... Jesus actually ends all of these parables by talking about prostitutes. Tax collectors were the thugs of the day. They were the gangsters of the day. They were literally government agents that were paid by the government to collect taxes using physical force. These were the worst of the worst. And so the pastors get together. Betsy, I apologize. The worship leaders get together. And they're looking at the crowd, and they're like, no, 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 no. This is for holy people. This is for people who have their acts together. This is who, for people who go to church every Sunday and, and know all the Bible verses. Why are you inviting all these other people here? This isn't the kingdom of the religious. And, and so they start grumbling. They start talking to Jesus and like, no, 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 the, the wrong people are a part of this crowd. And in response, Luke tells us, Jesus tells these parables. Going on, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of you, one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go and gather the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. One of the most consistent metaphors in all of Scripture for humanity are sheep. And the reason is sheep are dumb. They are so dumb. And I, I, it's, it's humorous how dumb they are, right? Sheep, if you let them, will eat until their stomachs explode, right? It's Thanksgiving every day of the year for sheep, right? And so shepherds literally have to make sure that they are not in too fertile pasture for too long because their stomachs will explode. Sheep will follow each other off a cliff, right? And so the shepherd has to make sure that they are not 
near a cliff because if one goes, they'll just go one after another after another. Man, this sounds like America, doesn't it? Right? How often you just watch one person make a mistake and they're like, oh, I'm just go follow them off, right? And sheep are completely defenseless. They have no defenses against predator. They are one of the rare animals that literally has no way to defend themselves. They have no protective gear. They're not a turtle. They can't go in. And they, know ha they have no offensive gear. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are gluttonous. Sheep are weak. Sheep need a shepherd. And so Jesus tells this parable of sheep. And I love it, right? This idea that they wander off because all of us wander off at times. Oh, man, I can make more money if I do this. Oh, man, I can be happier if I do this. That person's just a jerk, so I should do this. And then we start wandering off. And all of a sudden, we look around, and sin, all, know sin, all sin knows how to do is divide us. All sin knows how to do is separate us. That is the only thing that sin will ever do in your life. It will separate you further and further away from community until all of a sudden you look around and you realize you are one of all by yourself. So Jesus tells the parable, like, hey, if you had a sheep and one gets lost, you are going to go to any length to bring it back. And so he tells the parable of the shepherd in the heart and the joy and I also love that imagery of Jesus literally like throwing us on his back and having it back to the crowd, right? And just excited to, to, to be a part of community again. And again, that's another big thing, guys, because uh, in the same way that sin isolates us, sin also makes it think it's all about us. And so there's a fallacy within the church often that what God cares most about is redeeming you. And God wants a relationship with you. And church, God wants a relationship with you. We're going to see as these stories go on how far he will go to have a relationship with you. But it is not meant to be in isolation. Your faith is not meant to be in isolation. This parable doesn't say the shepherd goes off to find the one and then spends the rest of his life alone with the one. No, he brings them back to the flock. He brings them back to community. He wants to make the flock whole again. He wants us all to be together again. Because in the same way that all sin knows how to do is separate us, all God knows how to do is bring us back together. Right? The parable goes on. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. The heart is shown here. I started this by saying this parable is all about God's heart. That's the punchline. God's compassion, God's love. And so the story continues on. And it's just of a shepherd excited that before the sheep was killed, before the sheep was attacked, before the sheep was stolen, he found him and he brought him back. Rejoice with me. That's the heart of our God. That's the heart that he has for you and the people that you love when they get wander off, when they don't know their way, when it seems too dark, when the shepherd finds them. It's an act of rejoicing. Luke continues on. I tell you in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. 
Right? This is Jesus explicitly rebuking the Pharisees, the pastors, the worship leaders, the ministers, the holier than thou. I'm doing it all right. I mean, the reality of the story is none of us do it all right all the time. We're coming up on Christmas. My personal favorite analogy for the church is the island of misfit toys. All of us don't work quite the way we're supposed to, right? Remember the, the jack-in-the-box that doesn't know when to pop out? Or, or the toy that doesn't cry the right way? That's all of us. That is the story of Scripture. Us wandering off and God hunting us down over and over and over again because we have, as we sang earlier, a good, good father who loves us and cares for us. So Jesus says that when we repent, when we turn back, the delight in heaven resounds because our God is trying to bring us back closer to him and closer to each other and closer to this world. Story continues on. Or, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and, and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? I, I love the earnestness of this. All right? Because the higher a value of something we lose, the more we are going to search for it. The more earnest we are going to search for it. We will tear the house upside down. All right? You're about to go on vacation. You can't find your passport. You will search everything, right? Every cushion will be unturned. Every drawer will be dumped out. There is an earnestness in this parable of God saying that if something is lost that he cares about, a.k.a. his kids, he will earnestly seek after you. And when he finds it, she calls all her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. Again, this celebration of what was lost is found again is something that God is not interested in doing just by himself. He wants to celebrate it with everyone, with the whole community. That we have a God who specializes in reconciliation, who specializes in the island of misfit toys, who specializes in community and reuniting people back together, no matter what is separating them. Whether it's sin, whether in the case of Amos, his family in an ocean, right? God wants to reunite people back together. He sends his church out to help reunite people back together through the power of his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of what he is doing. The story continues on. And in the same way I tell you, there is much rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He says, there's a party in heaven when we turn back. Literally all of heaven celebrates when one of us repents. When one of us turns back, and y'all, all of us, myself, at the front of the line, stand in the mirror and need to repent regularly. It's part of our rhythm as a church that we admit, you know what, God, I'm still struggling. I'm still wrestling with some stuff. I still have my doubts. I, 
I still act out in ways. I, I still lay on my horn in times where I'm not supposed to when I'm driving down the road, or, or I, I don't treat my spouse the way I want to when I'm hungry, or whatever it is. Every time we turn back, every time we lean back into the grace of God, heaven rejoices because relationships are being healed. Because the goodness of God and his kingdom come. His reign is actively happening. And that, that's at the heart of, of who our God is and, and what he's doing. So Jesus starts off with these two stories. One about a sheep, one about an item. But, but then it gets personal. It gets to the story of the prodigal son. I was, I was talking to my uh, counselor a couple weeks ago, and he said he once heard a sermon on the prodigal father. And not that the father was doing anything wrong, but the father of the prodigal son is, is really what the story is about. It is really what the heart of it is about, not what the son does, not how he destroys the relationship, but how the father seeks them out to repair the relationship. Jesus continues on. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided the property between them. Historically, this is a deep cut. Because what the son is saying to his dad is, Hey, the estate I get when you die, I want it now. That is a deep cut of a relationship. Right? That's going to your parent and saying, honestly, it would be better for me if you were dead because I would get half your stuff. That's how the story starts. That level of heart-rending relationship. And y'all, all of us do that to God when we take our own path, when instead of the prayer, your will be done, your kingdom come, when we're like, ah, counterpoint, Josh's kingdom come, because that always works out well. So, so marvelously, spectacularly, I have a long line of failures in that line of thinking, right? All of us do. But that's how the story starts off. Not your kingdom come, my kingdom come, oh, and I'm taking my stuff with me. And then it goes on, and not long after that, the younger son got together, all he had, set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Heads off, takes all that money, and just goes to town. There's that really big uh, lotto a few days ago, right? And I, I remember thinking, if I would win that, I'm pretty sure I would just screw everything up, right? And certainly, a younger Josh totally would screw everything up, right? Give me that much resources, that much money. I, I feel bad, honestly, for star athletes, 21, 22 years old. Here's $20 million. I would have been dead, right? I would make horrible life choices. That's the story of this. And we see this happen with actors. We see this happen with musicians. We, we see this happen with the, the children of the rich and famous. Yeah, give me everything I want. We get everything we want, and it just all goes to hell. 
in hell being separated from God and separated from each other. So it goes on, it says, so after he spent everything there was, a severe famine that covered the whole country, and he began to be in need. I, we, we've, we've either personally experienced this on, on smaller scales, we certainly see this in larger scales, we get everything we want, and it doesn't turn out the way we think it's going to. Everything we take control of, and it all just turns to ash. Right? That, that's, that's humanity's story. That's us in Genesis. You know, I can be like God. I can be in control. Josh's will be done in relationships. Josh's will be done with my money. Josh's will be done. I get all of it, and it just breaks down. That's the story of the prodigal son. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. I will go back home to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me one of your hired servants. So he got up, and he headed back to his dad story of a son who realizes, man, I mucked things up royally. It all turned to dust. So he turns back thinking, okay, the relationship's broken. I, I, I literally said, Father, I wish you were dead. Took his money, bounced, wasted all of his money. Now I'm destitute. I'm going back not as a son but just as a servant, because I know he's a good man. And even as a servant, it's better to be in his house than be by myself. That's the heart. That's repentance. That's the turn. That's the realization that, oof, it's better to be in the family than outside of it, even if I can't be a part of the family anymore. The story goes on. But while he was still a long way, the son, a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. That word compassion means to connect your gut to someone. It's that feeling where you see someone and your heart just breaks or gets excited. It's this deep longing. The father has compassion for his son. And he runs to him, and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. This story is all about God's heart, y'all. The punchline of this story is the God that we have, the good, good Father that we have. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven, I have sinned against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Father, I repent. I, I mucked up. My choices, my anger, my sin, my evil, it got us to this place. And again, he's coming just saying, just, just let me back in the house. Even as a servant, even as a slave, I trust you. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. 
put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring out the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is now found. God will go to any length to have a relationship with you. He will go to the cross to have a relationship with you because that's the heart of our Father. He just wants what is lost to be found again. He wants what is dead to be alive again. He wants his family to be back together again. And y'all, you are sons and daughters of the Most High. You are precious and holy in his sight. And he washes you over and over and over again. No matter what the world does to you, you are a son and daughter of God and you are pure and clean and perfect in his sight. And no matter what you do, through his grace and his resurrection, you are pure and holy and good in his sight because we have a good, good father. And these just aren't words, right? Because we're good at words. Humanity's really good at words, right? Do you know what we call someone who talks about what they're going to do and doesn't? A politician. Bum, bum. Right? That's why we hate them so much. I'm going to do this for you. And they get to Washington, or they get to the Capitol, and just, ugh. Right? I can tell you how good of a neighbor I am. Oh, my gosh. I am just the best neighbor to my neighbors. And I can talk myself up. I can talk a big game. But until action is behind it, it's just talk. Character is found by action. That's how you know if someone's good or not. And so let's take a peek at the character of our Savior. Let's take a peek at the action of him. Fully God, perfect, in heaven with his Father. They're jamming. And he sees what we created, all the mess, all the brokenness, all the wars, all the divorces, all of it. And he looks down and he says, I, I love these people. They're lost, but I love these people. And so he puts on flesh. Where all of a sudden, a perfect God who can't be hurt shows up in a body that can skin its knee, that can get the flu, that can be crucified. He then spends 30 years just living with us, being a son, being a carpenter, learning what it feels like to be human so he can better relate to us. So no matter what happens to you, he can say, I fully know what it's like to experience humanity because I did it. Then he spends three years teaching what the kingdom of God looks like, gets together a group of men and women who follow him, who don't get it half the time, just like me, just, just like you, who will ultimately betray him when he's crucified, which he's doing to save them, and he still says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We murder him. He comes back to life again, and he's like, and now I can show you I love you this much. And not just into eternity. Here and now, he says, I want a relationship with you, and I want to teach you how to have a relationship with each other. I want to teach you how to love God with everything you have, and I want to teach you how to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the character of our God. 
that is why we can trust in him. Not because he says he's good. Not because he tells these parables, but because these parables reflect accurately his actions for us as his children. That's why we sing we have a good, good father. And yeah, I, I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know if you're just coming back from being lost. Where you've been in the wilderness for a while, you've been like the prodigal son living the wild living, and you're just coming back and you're, and you're trying to put the pieces back together of relationships or of families or of finances. I, I don't know if, if you're in the wilderness right now and you just feel, God, I, don't, I can't see you. I, I love that prayer that Betsy said during the worship. Even when I don't feel you, you're there. His character, his love is after you. Or maybe it's someone that you love who seems far from God right now. Maybe it's a son or a daughter who doesn't seem to have faith at this moment. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. And you're like, they're lost. You know what the good news that I have for you? Y'all, it ain't about them and it ain't about you. No matter how far they run, God's legs are better. That's my hope for people who don't have faith yet or who have left the faith. If they are running from God, okay, keep going. You'll wear yourself out. God won't. His legs don't get tired. Talking to Ryan about the New York Marathon. Trust me, he's going to beat you, right? <laughs> he's strong. He's good. He's chasing after them. Because if he's willing to go to this length to have a relationship with me, a relationship with you, he is going to move heaven and hell to have a relationship with them as well, too. Because, y'all, it's not about how strongly we hold to God. It's about how strongly God holds to us. It's not about how faithful I am to God. It's about how faithful God is to us. And he is calling us to repent, not out of shame or humiliation, because it's through repentance that we get restored back into full relationship with one another. It's by being honest that, you know what, God, I am still struggling with things, that God's healing and his light and his love can break into the darkness and can start putting back relationships back together again. It's the beauty of our theology that it's not about us, it's, a, it's about him. And this is all over scripture. This is from John chapter 1. We did not, uh, uh, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, okay, so not of the natural descent, so it wasn't you were born in the right family, so God loves you. Scripture says that's not it. Uh, nor of a human decision. This is a big one, y'all. You are not born of God because you made the right decision. God chose you before you choose him. And yes, all of us as his kids, like the prodigal son, can be like, peace out, I'm going to do my own thing. But he moves first. Nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Y'all, we are children of our father. And the cool thing about being a child, all, all of us rebel, all of us throw temper tantrums. But you as parents in this room, you know, even when your child throws a temper tantrum, 
Even, even when, like me, when I was you know, five, six years old, got mad at my parents and said, you know what, I'm moving out. Gonna pack all my bags up, gonna get ready to go, gonna leave on this grand adventure all by myself, and you know, I get four houses down, and then I realize, oh, I've made a horrible mistake, <laughs> right? <laughs> my choice to leave the family did not negate my parents' choice to keep me. And y'all, your choices do not negate a good, good father who is fighting for you, and not just for you, but for the people you love, the people who are far off, the people who, like a sheep, has wandered. He is for them, just like he's for you. And his legs are better than theirs. His legs are better than mine. And graciously, his arms that he wraps around us when he's hugging us are so much stronger than what we're able to do by trying to pull it away. And that is the story of the lost. Let's pray. Let's go into confession. I'm going to invite the band up. Oh, Father, we all, like the prodigal son, choose our own way. Uh, Lord, we, we, we pack up our bags and we head out into the wide, scary world and whether it's five minutes later, an hour later, or ten years later, Lord, that, revela- that revelation, Lord, that we've, we've mucked things up, that our own sinful desires get in the way of what you're doing, Lord, we come in confession to you. Lord, in repentance. Lord, and, and while the world and even our own sinful nature can say, well, you're doing this out of humiliation, Father, Lord, your scripture says, no, we are doing this from your spirit to be reconciled to you, to again encounter your grace. So, Father, Lord, we are bold to confess because from the cross, you said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Lord God, we give you thanks for being a good father who forgives. And we are forgiven indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about our church at actschurchleander.com.